This is a Diet of Brussels. Uh, what does Donald Tusk's proposal contain? Um, I'm doing this very much on the fly. It's been about uh, half an hour since uh, the proposals came out. But I thought it was good just to kind of give a, a set of first impressions. Now, this is Tusk's uh, response to the letter that David Cameron sent in November, uh, outlining the four areas uh, that he wanted to uh, renegotiate uh, with the EU. And essentially, it forms the the basis for uh, the European Council meeting that will be taking place in a couple of weeks' time. Now, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about the detail in a second, but it's perhaps useful to think here about the framing. Uh, I think for me, the the most instructive part is the the covering letter that Tusk provides uh, to uh, the other heads of state and government, uh, where he explains what he's trying to do. Um, And as he sets out in his opening paragraph, on the one hand, he very clearly wants to keep the UK in the EU. Uh, But at the same time, he doesn't want to undermine the fundamental principles of uh, the union as, uh, as a whole. So he's trying to balance those two things. You know, he's he's been very positive, trying to be constructive. But he's also saying that there are limits to what can be done. Uh, and as he also says, you know, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. So what we have here is uh, a set of proposals uh, that offer quite a lot, but perhaps not everything that David Cameron would want. Uh, they offer some things that I think haven't particularly been talked about, which might actually help to uh, sweeten the deal. So uh, if we go through uh, the, the various documents, and uh, they're written in finest uh, uh obscure uh, European uh, political jargon in places, uh, it's helpful just to to outline uh, a number of uh, different issues. So uh, what Tusk has provided is uh, a statement, uh, a decision, which would be discussed and agreed by the European Council and would presumably be uh, promulgated uh, after uh, the European Council meets reaches a decision, attached to which are then a series of more uh, legal documents and statements that outline uh, the specifics of what there is. Um, In that opening statement, the the decision, um, already Tusk sets up, uh, uh, I think, some of the key themes uh, of his proposal. On the one hand, he uh, is acknowledging that there is um, a flexibility in the system. Uh, and particularly, he uh, spends uh, sort of half a page uh, noting all the areas in which the UK has already got exemptions and uh, uh, flexibility from the euro to Schengen, border controls, uh, uh, freedom, uh, security and justice, uh, all of these things, he's already making the point that the UK already has a good deal. And I think that's important because this is not just a narrowly political or legal uh, discussion that's going to be taking place. It's also one which is going to be very much about convincing public opinion. So the importance of saying, look, we already have gone a long way beforehand, uh, I think is going to be uh, a central part to that. But at the same time, it's recognising that there is a value in working together, and that the way that that happens is adaptable and flexible. 
And really, uh, you know, a lot of this is about reminding uh, member states. Uh, so a lot of the language here is not just about the UK, it's about reminding member states as a whole that they have tools uh, at their disposal. So let's think about the, the different areas that uh, Tusk outlines. First one is economic governance. So this has uh, been primarily about the relationship between the Eurozone uh, members and those on the outside. Um, here we don't have an awful lot uh, that's been uh, offered. Uh, the framing here is about uh, mutual respect, that basically you don't mess us about, we won't mess you about. So Cameron isn't getting uh, a veto, not that he's asked for one, uh, on what the Eurozone does, but it's saying uh, very clearly that uh, discrimination between ins and outs is not allowed, it's prohibited, and that uh, Eurozone area uh, member states, when they reach agreements, need to respect uh, the implications on uh, the single market, on cohesion, uh, that anything that might constitute a, a discrimination to uh, the outs. And likely, uh, likewise, rather, uh, the outs uh, would agree that they wouldn't implement uh, the uh, implementation of legal acts that are necessary for the, uh, the Eurozone to function. So it's, uh, if you like, it's uh, sort of, uh, why don't we just uh, count to five uh, and uh, see if we can work something out uh, kind of approach. And the, the legal text at the end suggests that uh, if the outs, uh, if enough of them have a problem with what the ins are deciding, then this is a matter for discussion in the council and that everyone tries to work to find a solution. Now, there's no block that's attached to that. There is no um, a commitment that you have to find a solution, just that you will try to find a solution. So... Uh, Quite limited, but probably as far as can be gone in uh, the system uh, as it stands. That the, the inns have been very clear that they're not going to tolerate a, a formal veto or even an informal veto. So that's the first section. Second section uh, that uh, we might come to is uh, competitiveness. Now, this is the briefest, and largely it says competitiveness is really important, and we're going to keep on pushing on that. Um, where that's been fleshed out a bit, I think this is one of the things that's a bit of a surprise, is uh, that Tusk has proposed that there would be uh, a couple of new mechanisms, one of which would be about uh, ensuring that legislation is uh, compliant with uh, the pr process of or the idea of uh, subsidiarity. And secondly, that there would be an attempt to try and reduce the burden. So uh, for those two areas, that potentially means that the kind of agendas that the UK has long pushed for uh, will be advanced further. So um, the uh, regulatory fitness uh, programme, which has been uh, running uh, for some time now, Refit, uh, which has been successful in... Uh, removing and slimming down a piece of legislation is something which would be effectively uh, extended. So uh, particular interest in reducing the burden on small and medium-sized uh, uh, employers, uh, the kind of people who have typically have been least happy about uh, the integration process um, in the UK because they feel that they have to take on a lot of extra burdens for uh, exports when they themselves don't actually uh, do that. So uh, a lot of fine words, 
and also uh, some uh, commitments to try and move towards uh, creating a, a more substantial uh, uh, impact. Third area is uh, that of sovereignty. Um, and here uh, we're talking primarily about uh, ever closer union and the role of national parliaments. Now, in on ever closer union, the point here is made at length that the references to ever closer union are not equivalent to an objective of political integration. So, uh, in several paragraphs, Tusk highlights and reminds that they don't offer in of themselves a basis for extending the scope of any provision of either the treaties or of uh, secondary legislation. So really just uh, reaffirming the previous decision of the European Council that this is something which is uh, uh, about the uh, desire to promote trust and understanding sharing it uh, between people sharing a, a common heritage and that's phrasing again from the the, the the note and at the end of that it says that recognize that the uk in the light of the specific situation it has under the treaties is not committed to further political integration into the eu so here trying to very firmly again make the point that uh the value of the text in terms of what it implies and what it commits member states to do is very limited. Now, uh, alongside that, it also makes the point that still there are all the obligations that the treaty does bring that are specific and member states are still expected to comply with the rest of the treaty. But in of itself, the uh, reference to Everclose Union is not something which uh, drives the system forward. Alongside that, uh, Tusk has uh, gone with proposing a red card system. So essentially saying... If uh, 55% of national parliaments uh, register their unhappiness with a, a draft piece of legislation, uh, that then that's the basis for a discussion by, by the council. And uh, normally you would expect that then to result in the discontinuation of discussions of that legislation uh, unless there's some kind of amendment to accommodate the concerns. Now this is something that... Uh, Cameron has talked about. Uh, we'll overlook the irony of him not wanting to be in uh, Parliament uh, today to answer an urgent question about this uh, set of proposals. Um, but on the one hand, I think you know it's, it's something which can be sold as you know here's a strengthening of national parliaments. At the same time, uh, I think all of the issues around the red, red card uh, remain, and uh, I think I might talk about those in another uh, episode. But largely, the issue here for me is that uh, if you've got most parliaments, national parliaments having a problem with a piece of legislation, then it's likely that their governments will also have uh, a problem with that legislation, which means that it would be uh, not going very far in the legislative process anyway. So it feels somewhat redundant. There's also an issue clearly about uh, how much can national parliaments uh, oversee uh, legislation, let alone coordinate their efforts so that they comply with uh, the requirements that are set out. Now, all of that then takes us to uh, the final section, which is about free movement social benefits. Here, again, we have a long explanation of how member states already have a broad margin of discretion, as Tusk describes it, that there are limitations already in place in the treaties 
on free movement of workers, on free movement of citizens, uh, on the need to respect the laws of host member states. So already saying, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, flexibility. But at the same time, offering uh, from that uh, a new uh, set of uh, amendments to legislation. Now, one of those is about amending uh, regulation on uh, social security systems, which means that uh, the uh, export of child benefits to children living in other member states, so let's say you've come over to work but your children stay behind, that that would be amended so that it's benchmarked to your home member state rather than the one you're in. Now, that's something which... uh, Cameron has uh, mentioned but hasn't made much of and so uh, I think that that can clearly be uh, packaged as a a, a success for him. The other one and this is probably the the heart of what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks is that the uh, document proposes the introduction of an alert and safeguard mechanism. So when there is a situation when Uh, workers from another member state is of exceptional magnitude over an extended period of time, then a member state can uh, notify the Commission and the Council that it has this problem. If the Commission accepts that that is the case, then it can make a proposal um, to the Council, and the Council would then decide that it'd be possible to uh, limit uh, access to in-work benefits. Now, this is very tightly constrained. It says that it would limit access uh, to benefits for a period of up to four years, uh, that it would be a a gradual implementation, uh, so it would go from an initial complete exclusion to something that gradually increased benefits, so it wouldn't simply be on-off, it would be stages as you go through. Now, uh, this would be uh, time-defined, um, and here's one of the few areas where those times are not defined that Tusk hasn't proposed. He hasn't gone with the seven-year proposal that was being floated around a couple of days ago. He hasn't gone with four years. Uh, he hasn't gone with any years. He's gone with X, uh, extendable for two su- successive periods of Y and Z years. So he's leaving this up to the European Council, and I think that was probably uh, the most uh, likely uh, outcome, and I think it's the one that was probably most workable. For Cameron, this is going to be a real issue. It doesn't give the British government the unilateral right to impose restrictions. Uh, It doesn't uh, give him uh, the kind of flexibility that he has talked about in the past. Um, Notwithstanding the fact that there is a declaration that it's considered that the UK does already meet the initial condition that they are in that position of excessive and exceptional flows over an extended period of time, that is not going to be enough to guarantee uh, that he'd be successful in convincing uh, a majority of his colleagues in the European Council. So, pulling this all together, um, I think we've got a lot here. There's a lot that will have to be discussed Uh, I think Tusk has probably done as good a job as he can. There's nothing here which is particularly surprising, I think. There's nothing that makes me think, wow, uh, we didn't think about that. There are no uh, rabbits that are pulled out of uh, the hat. A lot of it is about making clear about what flexibility already exists, 
about uh, what scope there is for working within the treaty framework and some very limited uh, efforts to try and introduce new mechanisms. How that's going to be received I think we'll see over the next few days but certainly I think we would want to keep a close eye on this. I'm going to go and read this uh, a bit more in depth uh, as I'm sure will you. Uh, or read about it uh, in the newspapers. I'm sure there'll be coverage. Um, And we'll talk a bit more about those points as uh, we get uh, more coming out of it.